0: Welcome to the latest episode of Liverpool City Council's Mersey Waves Podcast. I'm Louise from the Council's communications team. A few weeks ago, just before the world was turned upside down, we were allowed out of the office and took a stroll up to Hope Street to speak to a man who who's no stranger to some of that street's most famous institutions. He's performed in the Philharmonic Hall and in the Everyman Theatre, and also had a play commissioned by latter. And he's also had the occasional drink in the Philharmonic pub. Described as the patron saint of poetry by former poet laureate Carol Ann Duffy and the Thinking Woman's David Cassidy by Time Out magazine, Roger McGough was born in Litherland in 1937, where he tasted early success at 18 months old, scooping top prize in the Litherland Baby Show. Now, more than 80 years later, he has published over 100 books, including 1967's Million Selling the Mersey Sound, and he was supposed to be back in the city later this month at St George's Hall, where he was to read from his latest collection, Joined Up Writing. We're sure he'll be back in Liverpool as soon as he can but until then enjoy listening to Roger chat about reading, writing but thankfully no arithmetic and how Liverpool can keep turning the pages in its year of reading. Uh, We're here in the new book room at the Hope Street Hotel and I'm delighted to be able to say good afternoon Roger McGough. Good afternoon. Let's go back quite a few years. When you took part in the Waterloo and Crosby First Speaking (laughs) Festival (laughs) in July 1949, did you think you'd be back performing in the concert room at St George's Hall over 70 years later?
1: It wasn't running through my mind at the time. I remember (laughs) that, standing as a nervous uh, schoolboy, reciting the Jabberwocky. Lewis Carroll's Jabberwocky, because I went to... I went to school Seaforth first of all, style The Sea School, and then I got a scholarship. Went to St. Mary's in Crosby, and my mum uh, really thought I had a very Liverpool accent, as we all did, and uh, she thought it'd be good, Roger, if you had, if you spoke proper, because if you want to get on in the world, you know this sort of idea that you had. At the time, you know, um, so I used to go to elocution lessons. So I used to. Just, you know, speak very fast and mumble in a loophole accent, and I learned how to speak very fast and mumble in less of a loophole accent. So, part of this was reciting poetry. So, as you say, I remember this getting this little um, certificate from the Guildhall School of Musical Drama for standing up and reciting Jabberwocky. That
0: was the beginning. It's quite an interesting choice of poem. Because that's a poem that demands to be read out loud, doesn't it?
1: I think it. I think it does. Yeah. I mean, what we did at the time, the school was very good for that. It was very sort of not so uncommon in those days. The idea of doing a lot of speaking out loud. And I, th- for me, poetry was always something that you. That's what you did, I suppose. And uh, I remember, we're sitting outside the Philharmonic Hall. I remember like, doing uh, concerts there with the school, and a group of us would stand on stage and recite um, half a league, half a league, half a league onwards or, or, or all various sort of poems of that sort of ilk and uh, I used to enjoy that and so poetry was not a thing that um, to be studied or looked at in, in a book or, 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 in, or answer questions about it was something you took and ran with so poetry was always akin to music, dance, theatre rather than the literary sort of thing
0: and that was something that's been Im- embedded in your career all those through. It has really, yeah. Performing yeah. or reading, yeah. It's it seems to have been just as, if not more important than publishing books. Can you imagine what your career would be like now if you hadn't had that performing side of it, or if you'd been reluctant to get up and stage? I was a
1: sort of, say, reluctant performer, but I sort of was in a way, and certainly. Um, Adrian Henry, which we're going to talk about the Liverpool poets. Adrian Henry was um, good at it, and Brian was not. Brian was a reluctant um, get on stage and read aloud, um, but that was a way of of reaching an audience. I mean, I was started writing poems when I was about eighteen. At university went to Hull, uh, having failed English literature at school, uh, so I didn't do anything there. So. I went to uni and started writing there and sent poems up to get published and my aim was to be a published poet and which i was in my my early 20s and some with monica came out in 67 then uh, 64 then mersey sound came out so that was always what i wanted to do published poet but it was inevitable living in liverpool and trying to reach an audience and there was Liverpool people are very good at turning up and listening to it. give anything a go, really, you know, see what happens. So we used to do poetry readings with Brian and Adrian and a lot of other people. Some of them are still with us, some good
0: poets. Some of your earliest audiences, though, were your classes at St. Kevin's Comprehensive, <coughs> they? where you yeah. read your own poetry to your classes. Only if they were naughty. <laughs> I did, yeah. I mean, that, that was it, because
1: I was was a, going in as a teacher and I was given the book to use and that was one called Palgrave's mm. Golden Treasury of Verse, which I used to have at school. It was given to me as a teacher and I didn't couldn't get on with it, you know, really. Uh, like the poems where we defeated the French, you know, with crossbows uh, and that sort of stuff. And, uh, but I, I didn't really get on with it. So when I was given the poems to... Uh, Teach those kids! I thought well, that's going to be a uphill struggle. So it was when I started to give them the poems that I was writing about my granny and about F- F- Everton and about you know drinking and things um, and, and being myself really. They responded to that very much so, and uh, you know I realised ah because it had worried me that whether I was writing poetry because I look, when I looked at poetry in magazines and in books, I seemed to be was the stuff I was writing real poetry you know real as defined by uh, the critics and the Oxbridge and so forth and so on so it wasn't a rebellion against the establishment what I was doing but rather trying to find an audience and suddenly when I realised that in fact I was a poet but it's just that the audience was was different to what I was told it would be you know and so I, I got confidence in that with the kids and went on doing it funny enough I was in a, I did a gig in Stratford-upon-Avon on Friday, just this week, and before the ring a guy came up and he said, do you remember, you used to teach me, I said, oh, St Kevin's, he said, no, 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 at the Mabel Fletcher College, I said, yeah, and uh, I said, I said, what, I, I put, pretended I remembered to know him, you know, he always do that, he's about 70, I said, oh, what your name? He said Alan Duggan. I said, Oh yeah Alan. Oh you were naughty then, you know, you joking. And I said, What did you do? He said, catering. I said, okay. Great, catering. You still still doing it? Alan, still do you still make a living out of it? He said, um, yes. He said, I brought this for you and he gave me a packet. I said, okay, I'll see you at the end of the show. Book signing. Joan the Interval opened this book. And it was a book called The Food of Love. And it was about Food in Shakespeare, his plays. And he'd written this beautiful book and produced it with somebody else, an author. And I read the back, his blurb, what he'd done. And he'd, he's like Michelin star, about four Michelin star restaurants. He'd cooked for the Queen, he'd done this, he cooked for whoever you mentioned that he cooked for them. And he was a sort of brilliant guy, so when I saw him respect, respect, you know, yeah, and he dedicated it. you know, inspiration, sorry dedication, inspiration uh, to Roger, who was inspiration to me when I was, te- you know uh, at school, that was great that was really, I mean I did not aware as a teacher that you have a, that you can be inspirational, you're told you are but you don't think you are, you know, because you're thinking about other things rather than teaching, but if you're a if you've got your own interests and enthusiasms, I and mind the time with poetry because I was then in yeah, my yeah. early 20s, before I left, um, Mabel Fletcher went with the scaffold. That, that, mine, that took off then. But it obviously had an effect on him, and I was reminded of the power of teaching and the power of, of poetry really.
0: Were they a, a tough audience at St. Kevin's?
1: St. Kevin's they were.
0: Because it was a boy school, wasn't it? Allowed, yeah. Oh
1: yes, there were other were things they'd rather be doing. But at the same time it was good, you know, that's all right. I know was I, I wasn't proselytising, I wasn't trying to do to anything other and get through the day. and uh, But I, I liked the kids, they were good kids. And I liked them, they liked me I think. And in fact, what's his name, Phil Redmond mm-hmm. was one of the boys I used to... I taught him everything I've got. He probably denied this. He probably said, no, <laughs> he may be right, But I do, I do remember for uh, Fredman? there. No, I enjoyed the experience. And then the next thing, Mabel Fletcher was, they're all a bit older. Some of them were as old as me, really, because I was still quite young, and all these cadet nurses, nursery nurses, and, and uh, people. And a technical college, which we don't see so much of, but I was really, I think it's really, we've lost out on that, because there were people doing... You know business studies i say catering nursing 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 even millinery hairdressing a lot of professions that have gone gone away but uh, they enjoyed it they
0: do you think there's this distinction when you're described you're described as having written books for adults and children mm. a children's author and an adult's author do you think it was a distinction between the two do you approach it differently what are the it's interesting,
1: when I'm writing, I, I, I don't, if I'm writing a poem, I don't know whether it's uh, for children or for adults, particularly you start with an idea. Uh, and then, uh, and to be honest with you, most of the poems could fit in mm. either way. And so at home now, as always, got like two piles and one pile is the kids' ones, one pile for the adults. I know this is an adult poem. Uh, cause I've just written one which I, it's definitely about... Um, uh, adult, uh, I imagine, adult. But if I got an, an idea for one poem for a children's poem and I it's about some um, imaginary manager, about an imaginary animal, I think oh this is going to be a children's poem and that I may be inspired then to carry on down that down that road as it were. So I'll keep on these. If you do some with Monica as it did years ago, an adult poem, this is about adult from writing about issues like global global warming, the environment some will be adults, some will be, be children's, you know, you know, you go different, different areas.
0: You, um, you spoke about Paul Graves' mm. first book, and I remember you mentioning in an interview about how when you were a child, there was literature, but there seemed to be a dearth of stuff that connected with young people mm. how do you view children's literature now because it seems that that's you know it, it's kind of occupying quite an important space now sort of young adult literature yes and
1: yeah i know it's, it's interesting and it's a wide area and i mean my as you know my area is really the poetry side of it even though i do write stories and the fact that my re- most recent book is out this month and it's called money go around uh walker books but it. and it is uh it's set in the world of Toad of Toad Hall mm. and uh, the Wildwood, and it's all about uh, a coin, the use of money, and it's quite funny. And the next book is also Crocodile Tears, a children's book. So I enjoy going, diversifying like that. But I really don't know what's going on too much in, in the children's world. I know there's a lot of good poets out there, and poets has uh, been a whole, as you know, blossoming in the, in the internet and the has done a lot of this mm-hmm. and you know, these poets young poets come on um, reaching a wide audience and it's brought with it a lot of great stuff and a lot of interest out there and I find sometimes you're being not quite left behind but you know you still think am I in touch with children or should I be like since I should I be doing it in a different sort of way to, you know, reaching an audience I don't know you know what I mean, I mean you feel, you start feeling your age. Um, but my recent poem, some recent poems, are one's about, I wish I could write, he said, turning left and reaching for a poem about thinking what I should write about. Um, wild stallions. I wish my poems used foul language, not afraid to stand up and fight. Instead of mumbling in the darkness, take the stage, grab the mic and recite i wish my poems would point fingers exposing the lies and the fools i wish they'd run free like wild stallions instead of being tethered like mules and it goes on and on and on that's all about sort of you know you want your poems to you know not to mean the page not to be polite and uh, like like they used to be but to get out there and fight um but i don't know whether that's necessarily a good idea either it's almost taking the mickey out of myself
0: i know it's so in joined up writing yeah the book that you published yes. uh anthology published last year Mm. um there are quite a few poems in there about aging getting Mm -hmm. older Mm. but i noticed that the last poem is so many poems an apology Mm. but i noticed it was so many poems it wasn't too many poems (laughs) so i I say to you Uh, i don't think that's an apology at all it's not too many it's just a lot and it's a lot it's a lot yeah it's
1: just a lot um yeah, it is, uh, and uh, it's it's obviously a tongue-in-cheek thing because yeah. you know, I've got, um, still going, going on, on writing, but you do think sometimes you, um, I, don't, I don't know, yeah. whether, you, I, and whether, you know, in a sense you become known, early on, not so much now, but the, a Liverpool poet, that was a big mm. thing, of course, Roger Beard, the Liverpool, still get it, the Liverpool poet, a performance poet, all these labels you've given yourself, um, and it was... I took pride in that, of course, being a Liverpool poet, you know, but you wanted to put Liverpool on the map. But it became a sort of thing that the critics hit you with. Uh, Liverpool meaning either not really serious, not really to be taken seriously. We know Liverpoolians are, like, taking the piss, you know, so mm-hmm. that obviously they take the piss out of everybody, and which we didn't, you know, we just wanted to um, celebrate where we come from. But, um, and I suppose in a way, you know, People talk about diversity in all the, all so many poems now. Younger people's poems are about their narrative, and about where they came from, and how they found their life, and you know, how they found the world, and uh, identity politics, gender, and all this stuff. Well, that's what essentially what we're we'll doing, you know, in, a, in a way, you know, you're trying to, you know, here I am. That's what I do, and what's wrong with that?
0: Did you not really get the last laugh there, though, with the critics? Because obviously the Mersey sound, what, it's million, it's a million, million? a million? yeah, yeah it's one oh, of the, yes. Is it the biggest selling or one of is the is, biggest yeah. selling? Are they yeah.
1: really you know, you crapped on it. You know, they're saying things like, you know, the, the three-headed pantomime horse from Liverpool. That was one of the swipes at us. And a small town, Mantovani's going around playing pointless songs to silly people. And, you know it just appeals to the balcony and all these things it'll be sniffy but but as you say keep on doing it and the audiences are there and, and you know
0: here I you still are place. yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly.
0: so we've been back to 1949 I'm gonna drag you back even further now <laughs> yeah. um, to the Second World War mm. in in your autobiography said and done mm. You write about your mother reading to you mm. during the Blitz, mm. and you say the two of us culled up together in the blackout. Was that your first memory of reading and being read to?
1: Louise, I don't actually remember because I was. I'd written about that experience in a poem, and about how because it was a blackout, we couldn't have beds. couldn't have a bedside lamp, mm. so she'd open the window, and she reads me by the light of a, of a fire of a blazing crash measurement, Yeah. Or a, or a factory on fire. So obviously I was sort of uh, exaggerating there. But yes, I think my mother didn't have many books in the house and at the time in the war, there were, there were no bookshops, no libraries were closed.
0: Paper as well, paper, paper actually, yeah. Paper, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: This wasn't there, um, but they tell the stories and but born you know, lots of had lots of aunties and, and grandmas, that many grandmas, too, um, cousins <laughs> and, and uh, cousins, and so and, and very Gabby household, lots of fancies because all the men were at war, so all these aunties were very dominant. My mum was one of 13, so, you know, and, uh, uh, all very Gabby, very funny. Um, I was taking the Mickey and a very Irish sort of family, Irish Catholic family, and full of stories, and uh, you know, but, and so it was great. So I was brought up in, in that sort of. Household and the importance of this of the word really and, and, and storytelling, perhaps rather than books that came a bit later, I suppose. But my mother, uh, she had a s- small um shelf of books that she liked. Um, she was a thwarted, uh, she, you know, she could have got a student school, intelligent, could have gone to university college, yeah. and they didn't have that course. And you know, my, my dad worked on the docks and he was always who he didn't, he was a bit embarrassed about going into libraries. I in, uh, in the libraries working class thing men had in those days, I thought they were full of intellectual people and he might have to write his name down and sign things and didn't like that um, so he'd always ask me to get a book for him when I went to the library just leave it to me to get a book, I know the sort of books he liked were adventure and, and they do with the sea and that sort of thing, um, so he, he, he liked that because uh, he, he died before I ever knew what I did.
0: Mm. Uh, you've got four children, all grown up now. Yeah. Um, what are your memories of teaching your own children to read or reading to them? Uh, did you read them your own poetry?
1: Only when they were naughty. <laughs> Again, famously, if they were naughty, my wife said, Go to sleep, dad'll come up read some of his poems. <laughs> Um no, no not very good at that, unfortunately. you you'd expect better from me and I think they, they would. I used to make things up yeah, I wasn't very really good at reading the books, the story books. I used to get I I'd go off kill, off off piece, obviously, you know, and make it my own way. And i uh, if I asked my kids what's the favourite your favourite story? Like Charlie the chip it was about a potato, I got made into a <laughs> chip and the ship escaped and all that and they they I liked that. They encouraged me to, to be silly. So I was always very silly rather than To be honest, into. Yeah, I. With embarrassment, I'd say my. Their mothers were the storytellers, were the book readers to them, not me. I was downstairs writing them.
0: When they were. um, with their experience of language, like learning to speak and them writing, did that influence your writing? Because it's quite a process, a child building up its vocabulary. Yes,
1: I do. Well, it certainly has. I mean, what's encouraged and been a feature of my writing is in the fact that the way that children see the world and I do have this um, theory that all children are poets before they go to school. And What I mean by that is the way they will describe things and um, I talk about my own child saying oh dad 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 the candle's crying you know or a moon's they see like a uh, a, a new new moon Oh, bits falling off the moon or there's another case of they get a little girl on the train going past digcott power station saying oh look a cloud factory so in each case so this is all imagination they're seeing the world in the way and saying describing it and, of course, what happens when you education is you say, you know, don't we say the candles don't cry, don't we say, <laughs> these candles don't cry, <laughs> don't be soft. It's caused by the um, molecules. Go and, go and Google it, you find out the, the truth. Yeah. And it's all about information. So school is about education. Narrowly now, more and more, it's about information. Giving information, getting the facts right, getting the facts right, get it right, you're wrong, get it right. And as you know, poetry is not about that, it's about language and about the way they see the world. And the child has that way of expressing language in a way that is beautiful and innocent. And we've got to try to keep that. And that's what I encourage teachers to do and parents to do. You know, don't sort of correct them, make them describe things in those ways. So a lot of my poems are about that.
0: You've also written about how, obviously, for many, many years, children have sent you poems that they've written mm. and you said that many years ago that they'd be handwritten and mm. they'd have yeah. pictures and everything yeah. but now you get them and they're typed and spell checked yes. and you said that much has been lost what do you feel that's been lost because I felt that was quite poignant when you said that it's quite a sea change do you, you know, to be honest
1: though right. I, I, you're right it's alright it does happen and
0: I've noticed the sort of a
1: slight not sea change but a batch of poems still come to me uh, and now they're handwritten I wonder whether teachers are going back to this in uh, a way. It's really interesting, just over so the last... Because uh, they
0: spend you all know, time stats, so typing. You know, handwritten mm-hmm. out, and
1: it's lovely, you know. And uh, Yeah, it's great, and it always in- always <laughs> includes the drawings, as I say, and it breaks up in the drawings, and, you know, and that's great. And I just love the the time they take handwriting it. It really jumps out at me in the way that typed, you know, got another computer, sometimes they teachers may have even typed them out for them. and that's. Do
0: you handwrite as a first draft? I do handwrite. Yeah, I
1: yeah, always handwrite. And then uh, at some point, because it looks, when you go to the computer too quickly, it looks like it's already been typeset and in a book. So, you know, fiddle, 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 and then go to the PC and then start working it from there. But it was, it was kind of a notebook around with me.
0: So to do. go back to, to what you were saying before, you've had a very long career, in inverted commas, mm. in classrooms. You started off mm. as a teacher... Mm. Teaching different places, yeah. and then you've for decades now you've been going into schools mm. all across the country. Mm. What are the changes the world, that you've world. noticed over those years?
1: Um, the
0: good and bad.
1: I've had so many experiences um, going into schools, and when I first I was, I mean, myself and even also Brian and Adrian. We're at the forefront of going into schools, I mean it was in the 70s, we were going into into schools. And at at a time when they didn't have poets going into schools. And I have lots of stories about going into school one day, uh, half past one, in for the afternoon, knowing I had a a little session with us. And as we were going in, all the teachers were coming out. And I saw the English master I said, what's happening? Are you close? He said, no, you are right? No, 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 just that you've got the afternoon in the hall. So they got the afternoon off. Said, what? So that was it, I got 500 or 700 kids in the afternoon for two hours, you know. What the hell? And in those days you just do what you told, you know, you didn't think, oh god, I didn't. They took advantage of all, they got, got. Or you go into, another time you go to school and the headmaster would introduce you to the class. Uh, or no, the English teacher would introduce the class. And, or two classes or three classes then the headmaster would come in and sit in and watch it and he'd sit behind me on a chair and he'd be going sitting behind me, behind me pointing to people that weren't paying attention or, or this one and i at excuse me excuse me do you mind do you mind and at those days you know you were a nobody you know you couldn't be saying excuse me do you mind leaving sir I'm doing this no you have put up with it but I'd give him some looks or so and try and you know don't need to be here and then he could get bored and he'd go and he'd come on so that sort of you know they didn't trust you you know who are you, who are you coming in here who are you and, and then it changed the more i got no the more you went did it the more did it. the word got around he's all right it's good other poets doing it i know it's much nicer the problem I have now is when i go into doing uh work with teachers or heads heads of schools and this happens so often now, I go in to, the, to the, usually a nice hall, they've had a conference going on, they've had so-and-so talking to them, and so-and-so talking about the importance of this Then, and I go in, and as soon as I start reading, all their phones come out, all they're all sitting behind a computer, and they looking at the phones, and I said, excuse me, what, 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 would you, you have your phones on? He said, oh, sorry, you know, we're just is explained to me that that because of their heads there may be a problem at school, so they've got to keep their on be- just in case. Then, and I would at first okay. Now I tend to well, do you have to do that? Maybe just to turn it off. Don't look at it. Just look at me. and It's <laughs> this new generation. Of, yeah, that's yeah. Right, and they've got a, they've got a point. I mean, they got we know that. But all the time they do say, yeah, we've got we've got. There's a second in charge at home, and they they can do that. Also, uh, they'll correct me. Last time I I told. Them, I gave a lovely, lovely lady at the back. I gave this warning about please don't play video games and things when I'm trying to read. And of course, I know they're not. You know that. Um, but this woman was behind a screen looking at us. So I was doing that as so I was reading. And as was walked past her, so waving a finger, <laughs> 11, not. Long. And it turned out she's writing her lessons based on my poems. So she she actually written two lessons for her work based on what I was doing. So she was able to multitask. She was a lady, for God's sake. So I know this happens, but I find this uh, a, new, a new development.
0: Are you a part of the national curriculum? Are you on a list somewhere? I or? don't know.
1: You come, and, you come and go. Right, OK. You come and go. Sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. Man, is, you that, is that
0: a good thing or a bad thing? It's
1: good things. Your books are well, still still. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. But as you know, people like Adrian Mitchell, you don't want to be on them because it does imply there are questions asked about your poetry and they've got to ask questions and maybe you put them off your poems if you're on the syllabus mm, you, know, the the bit they bit you have to do bit, yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. always looking for someone who's a bit more edgy I mean. yeah um, but uh, i mean obviously like yeah it's better to be on than off because then you're there.
0: in terms of you know you mentioned technology there do you feel that you know, there's, there's always discussions these days about how it's affected people's concentration you get that sense when you go into schools that there's an element of distraction that people find it hard to to sort of ease their brains I think they would. I
1: mean I would say you know I mean think about poetry is you know it's, you keep saying things like it's better to use the paper I get used to be fall in love with the paper and the pen and the ink and the pencil whatever um, but I it maybe it's inevitable you know it's this thing I don't know I, I don't know to for you because I'm not in schools all the time, eh? I would not, I would not like to see mobile mobile phones in schools and people are on them all the time aren't they and it's not good for you and I just think it just scrambles the brain I just think we do it without it, how we're we going to be able to do that I don't know I, I don't know, I just know when I'm sometimes doing a reading, it was at Les Hudes Festival, the uh, year before last and whole two days of readings and I was there one afternoon and I was the Caroline Duffy, Gillian Clark, a fine poet, and John, John Cooper Clarke, actually, myself, and lots of other poets. And I think we were the only four actually using books, reading from books. All the other poets either did spoken word directly out, you mm-hmm. know, learned the poems and did a performance, or they used the, a laptop or, or a phone. And I was like, blammy. It's time to change.
0: 2020 is Liverpool's Year of Reading, mm. and organisations from all across the city are encouraging people to read for pleasure. Mm. If someone is a reluctant reader, child or adult, mm. what advice would you give them to pick up a find, book? Find them,
1: find them, probably start with a small find and then work up. Um, do you mean in schools or, or at home? Maybe we'll start somewhere. Anyway. I starts? think
0: probably at home. I think schools you've got access to the children, haven't you? It's, it's difficult. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean,
1: Yes, it is. And I think children are ready readers. One of the problems I suppose we have, and how do you do this? If the parents don't like reading, the parents all think, well think, don't they, it's good that the children read in the way they think it's good that they don't have too much fried chicken or it's good they don't have too many burgers. But it's annoying, knowing that, but doing something bad is is, is harder. Uh, so you, you feel for them. So uh, how do you turn these generation of children into the... Parents of tomorrow who will be great readers and, and carry on the, that sort of uh, encourage, encouragement. Um, so, hopefully, uh, encourage the mums not to feel bad about, it. don't feel guilty about it if your kids don't like books. Just try and borrow the books, get the books in there, um, and try different things. And it will it be worth the be worth the benefit. They'll reap the benefit in a way. Children will find the books and you know, let them find their own books as well.
0: Do you think that some people find poetry intimidating yes. to read? Yes, I do. How would you encourage people to find, I oh, mean, obviously poems now you can you have to go out and buy a book, they're on mm. the, in, you know, you find most things on the internet. It's, it's yeah. accessible now.
1: I do think, I mean, I think the good thing about a couple of things, I think, thinking about poems is the short, that's why I became a, a poet, because they're shorter. Um, like read right 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 so and for younger or younger people you know junior school poems are easy they're there there's so many good books around so many good anthologies loads really are loads of good anthologies and children will find the books if they're available they'll be available at school and teachers should should i'm suggesting it'd be lovely if if this goes to secondary school as well you don't only have poetry in an english lesson uh, my best experiences of poetry when they were not in English lesson, when they surprisingly in a physics lesson, um, suddenly someone read a poem that was what was that? Um, so poems at different times of the day, not just to be studied and read, but pop a poem in here, doing a geography lesson, there's a poem about Manchester, read that poem, uh, if you're doing chemistry there's a poem about sodium or something, read that, you know what I mean, so poems to be available and they used as a, um, just a bit of moment of quiet in a way, a moment of reflection and encourage people to write the poems because kids like writing poems and it's a way of getting your own back. I find that one of my first poems were a way of getting at people who got at me uh, but I was at the time not clever enough to say the right things, couldn't give the repartee, couldn't hit them because they were bigger than me. Writing a poem is a way you can deal with it. And uh, use that. all Poems Works in all sorts of different ways. You know, it's, and it's not, it's, don't be intimidating because you can't understand it. Um, find poems that you can understand and write poems that uh, will communicate with other people. Don't show off anything. Um, just just be yourself. Find words in yourself. Ideas. We've all got, we've all got stories. Everyone's got amazing stories. Everyone. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a novel in me. I believe that but you might have got a poem in you
0: you think if if children have that opportunity to to write verse and read verse do you think that gives them more confidence with language whether writing it mm-hmm. writing whatever and reading whatever as they grow up that they're not into you know they know yes. that language is something they can use yes. as a
1: tool Very much so. and, and i think when they're, the are younger the better uh, don't bother about spelling. You you're spelling wrong. It's all right. A lot of good poets can't spell, um, and just you know, just matter of that. Just get your feelings right. Get your right. Get the poem. Write the poems, and then who knows? Even if you go off it, and they probably will. When you're a young teenager, when you're about eleven or twelve, you go right off poetry, but you may come back to it when you when you start angst about yourself and about who am I? Those questions you ask ourselves when we're teenagers and that sort of thing. It comes back then if you've got that facility for seeing what it does.
0: Do you have a favourite poem? Is there one that you feel I wish I'd written that?
1: Uh, not one favourite, no, no, I always, uh, never, never had this one favourite thing of anything, really. You always think if you say that, the other ones get jealous. <laughs> you know, And also, it changes too sometimes, like that one, something like that. Depends on the mood you're in. It's a mood thing, I think.
0: So, I think we're nearly at an end. So, I've got one final question. Carol Ann Duffy mm-hmm. has referred to you as the patron saint of poetry, which me. is on the front oh, of yes. joined up writing. Yes. If you are a saint, mm-hmm. you need to have performed a miracle. <laughs> what is your miracle? Of course, it has to be signed off by the Vatican as well, doesn't it? Oh,
1: gosh. What's yeah. Roger
0: McGough's miracle?
1: I've got, I've got, I've got to perform one, have I? I've
0: no, got to, I, well, I assume you're already a saint. I oh, mean, Carol so I have, said you're performed. a saint, so you have. must have done one. What I is have. it? Come on.
1: No, it's a secret. <laughs> That's a good, it's a secret between Carol Ann and myself. That um, was <laughs> no, a nice, a good question, though. But I don't, wouldn't uh, claim anything. But uh, you know, just just um, having a passion for something and, and trying to uh, be empathetic with everybody and not to be competitive and to you know letter, so spread the word, spread the good word like St Francis St Francis are the words
0: Brilliant, thank you very much Thank you That's the end of the episode Our thanks go to Roger and the Hope Street Hotel for hosting us Thank you for listening Please rate, review and subscribe and if you want to get in touch with the Mersey Waves team please email hello at merseywaves.co.uk <music>